0: And today, in Mark 13, in verse 10, we will hear and see where Jesus says, But first, the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. And in this context of Mark chapter 13, Jesus is talking about all the events that are surrounding his second coming. We've been singing about that this morning, and the sands of time are sinking, and... Uh, And is he worthy? I don't know about you, but I've gotten to the point that I long for Jesus to come back. As I see all the brokenness and hurt in the world, as I see oppression and animosity, as I hear lies and see mistrust building, as I see such bitterness and anger, In so many, I long for Jesus to return and make all things right. And so we're going to look at that this morning. I'm going to point out five things that Jesus teaches about his second coming. And I'm going to read to you a portion of the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Jesus gives this talk on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the temple with his disciples there. And he talks about his second coming and what things to look for. And so I want to read a portion of that to you. I want to pray for us. And then I want to talk about what Jesus says about his second coming, knowing that first, the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. So let's do that together now. Here now, the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 13 I'll begin reading in verse 24 Jesus said but in those days after that tribulation the Sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Then picking up in verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. Let's pray together as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for preserving these words, and I pray that we would learn from them. Father, I do pray that you would give us information this morning, that we would learn about the return of your Son. But more than that, I pray that you would help us to think about what difference his second coming makes in our lives today. Father, I confess that no preacher can convince anyone of the second coming of Jesus. And so I pray that you would be at work now by your spirit through the preaching of your word that you would be pleased to open our minds and to open our ears and to open our hearts that we would be people who are changed, that we would live differently, that we would lean into the world differently because of the word that we hear from Jesus today. And I ask that you'd be willing to do all this even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Five things Jesus says about his return here in this text. I want to look at these five things together and not just learn something new about the return of Christ, but to actually think with each one what difference does that make in how I live my life today. Sometimes the return of Christ seems like it's a long way away, but it should make a difference. Jesus says it should make a difference in how we live today. And so let's learn those points and then see how our lives should be changed. Number one, Jesus will return visibly. Jesus will return visibly. Some folks say that when Jesus talks about his return, he's just saying that his spirit will be here, that his teaching will continue on. Other folks sometimes speculate, well, maybe Jesus will come back as a baby again this time, or maybe he'll come as a a woman or a homeless person, or he'll come in some other form But Jesus says here that his return would be visible. Look, you see it there in verse 26. Jesus says, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Jesus says his return will be visible. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, we're told, and we can read there, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Jesus makes a big deal about this in Matthew's gospel and a little earlier here in Mark's gospel. He says, look, if you are here, there he is out in the wilderness or he's come back and, and he's somewhere out in the desert. And you should go out there and look for him. Jesus says, don't believe that. Because it will be obvious that he is returned. Revelation says, every eye will see him. In Matthew 24 and verse 27, Jesus says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now that's important, first of all, because it shows that Jesus is not talking about a spiritual return or a symbolic second coming. Nor is he talking about this like it might be a secret or we might miss it because he's a little baby or he's a shepherd in Mongolia and then we found the Messiah, that that's the form, he came back. Right after Jesus ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1, Luke writes there that the disciples are standing there looking up in the sky. Well, I guess so if you just saw somebody ascend up into heaven, right? So they're standing there looking in the sky, and in Acts 1, in verse 11, these angels appear and say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Well, because Jesus just went up there on a cloud is while we were looking up there. And then the angels say, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus' return is not going to be a spiritual thing. It is not going to be in some other form. The same Jesus that went up into heaven is going to come down. It's not going to be a secret. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, down around verse 16, tells us that the Lord Jesus will descend from heaven and there will be a loud cry, a command from the archangel, and that a trumpet will blow. And then the Lord will descend, that the dead will actually rise. If you're worried, what if I'm asleep when he comes? If the dead rise up when he comes, I think it will wake you up from your sleep as well. Jesus will return visibly. So what? What difference does that make? Well, it helps us not to believe rumors and things that are untrue, right? If someone says, well, what if Jesus comes back as a baby? And you don't have to speculate about that. We know that when Jesus comes back, it'll be something visible. That he'll, his return will be physical. And we learn more about his second coming. Number two, Jesus will return triumphantly. Jesus will return triumphantly. You see it also there in verse 26 where we read, And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. In Matthew 25, in verse 31, Jesus is speaking there, and he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, indicating that he is triumphant because he is sitting on a glorious throne. You see, in his first coming, Jesus came in weakness as a servant to suffer for evil. But the next time Jesus comes, it'll be totally different. Jesus will come in strength as a ruler to destroy all that is evil. He will come in a form that is beautiful and majestic. You can read in Revelation 19, beginning down in about verse 11, that Jesus will come, the picture there is that he's riding on a white horse, and he is called faithful and true And that he has these eyes like fire. That he has many crowns on his head because he's victorious. And the armies of heaven are with him. And out of his mouth comes this sword, which I'm guessing is the word of the Lord. Out of his mouth comes this sword. And with it he strikes down the nations. And he rules the nations as king of kings and lord of lords. You know it gets serious if he's quoting Handel right there, right? Right, Handel's actually quoting revelation 19 all right we'll, we'll look at that at christmas but jesus is coming to rule and you may say so what in the future jesus coming to rule that's great what about today what about right now what about my monday morning right what difference does this make listen jesus returning triumphantly this should be the biggest takeaway of all teaching on the end times the most important thing to know is that in the end Jesus wins Jesus is victorious Jesus will return triumphantly why is that important because despite the terrible and ugly things that we see happening in this world right now and despite the ugly and terrible things that will happen in this world Everything will be made right by the king when he returns. We must never lose sight of that. We must never loosen our grip on it because that truth gives us great hope. And it enables us to endure in the present moment because we know it's not always going to be this way. That Jesus is going to come back. And that he's going to make all things right. So as we see struggles, as we see difficulties, as we see great brokenness, as we see great ugliness in the world, we can say to ourselves, listen, we may or we may not win this battle that is before us right now, but we know who wins this war. We know how this one ends. And there's a calmness and a peace that comes with that. Knowing that Jesus will return triumphantly. That means we can endure problems and frustration with hope because we know that Jesus will return triumphantly. It means that we don't have to do extreme things. It means we don't have to do crazy things saying that, well, the ends will justify the means. We can do the right thing right now, knowing that Jesus is going to make it all right one day. You know, I hear a lot of talk today, and much of it is directed towards Christians, about not being on the wrong side of history. And you know what the the pressure in that argument is, right? It's just really a variation of of junior high and middle school, right? Everybody else is doing it, so you should too, right? That here's the flow of history, that all of history is is flowing in this direction, and and you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Listen, as a believer in Jesus, I don't want you to be intimidated by that argument, okay? Okay? Our response to that from now on should be I totally agree with you I don't want anybody to be on the wrong side of history I think we just have a fundamental difference of opinion about where history is going and then we need to tell these truths I believe Jesus will return visibly I believe Jesus will return triumphantly And I believe, as Paul says in Philippians 2, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that day I'm going to be on the right side because I'm confessing him as King and Lord now. Jesus will return visibly. Jesus will return triumphantly. Third, Jesus will return restoratively. I'm not even sure that's actually a word, but I was trying to keep the LY thing going there. So, okay. And when I say he'll return restoratively, I just mean that that his return will mark the renewal of all things. You see it hinted at there in verses 24 and 25 in the text. But in those days, Jesus said, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the heavens, and powers in the heavens will be shaken. These verses are showing that Jesus' return has these effects on the material universe. And that means that this is not just a spiritual thing that's happening, It's not just a political revolution that's happening, but there is a renewal of the entire physical universe. In Matthew 19 and verse 28, Jesus very clearly says, and he speaks about the renewal of all things when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. That language of Jesus in Matthew 19, and also that of, I know some of you studied 2 Peter recently. 2 Peter 3, you looked at that language that shows us that the physical world will be shaken. It'll be purified of its impurities as if by fire. And all brokenness will be purged from the universe. Jesus will return restoratively. He will make all things Right. He will right all wrongs. Some guys that I read say that they see it there in verse 26 where he says, And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds. Now, when I read that, I just thought, well, Jesus will be coming, you know, through the clouds of the atmosphere, right? The disciples saw him go up into the the sky through the clouds of the atmosphere, go into heaven, and he's going to come back down through the clouds of the atmosphere the same way, and that might be the, the correct reading. But some guys look at verse 26 and say, hey, if the Son of Man is coming in clouds with great power and glory that this association With clouds and great power and glory is a reference to God. Revelation 1-7 that we already mentioned, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. He's not really coming through the clouds, he's coming with the clouds. And it is interesting that in the Old Testament, God's royal Shekinah glory presence appeared as a cloud, Mark's made that reference earlier in his gospel, in Mark chapter 9, down around verse 7, when he's talking about the transfiguration, the glory presence of God appears as a cloud. In the Old Testament, this glory cloud only rested in or above the holy of holies. And so some folks look at this and say the text seems to indicate that Jesus is coming back To turn the entire world into a giant holy of holies. And the Shekinah presence of God will fill the earth as it once did the Garden of Eden or the Holy of Holies. I suppose that makes sense, right? Revelation 21, that will be our benediction, does say not that we go up into heaven, but that the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, will come down from heaven to earth, right? That it comes down... And that God says his dwelling will be with men, that he will be here with us, that he will dwell in our midst, and that he will make all things new. No more crying, no more death, no more pain, no more disease, no more decay, no more oppression. No more racism, no more hunger and poverty, that Jesus will make all things right. While Jesus' triumphant return gives us hope and endurance in this present moment and enables us to keep going, knowing that Jesus will one day make all things right, his restorative restorative return is important in order for us to remain committed to this world. You know, it's so easy sometimes just to say, I let the whole thing burn down. You can have it. I don't even care about it anymore. But as Christians, we can't say that. Because God's coming kingdom is a renewal of and a continuation of this physical world. And so we can't be passive in the battle against suffering and injustice. We cannot be passive in the struggle against disease and oppression or against hunger and poverty. The miracles that Jesus performed while he was here on the earth in the flesh, those things pointed us to what his kingdom is like. That's what the purpose of them was. The healing of physical bodies, the physical feeding of multitudes, his triumph over death, all were signs of what the restored world will look like. And we, as the hands and feet of Jesus are to imitate this coming kingdom in our own word and deed ministry. Jesus said as much in John 20 and verse 21 where he says, Even as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Now folks read that and they think, oh, well, we're supposed to have a repeat performance of what Jesus did, that we're supposed to do all these miracles. Jesus does say that we'll do greater things than him, but I don't know if it's the exact actions of Jesus that we're to repeat as much as it is the pattern of the kingdom that he revealed through his ministry that continues through his church. That means as we reach out to people, we don't just reach out with the gospel, with the word, although we do reach out with the word, But our evangelism, our reaching out, has to be holistic as it transmits word and deed. As we proclaim Christ's promises for our body and our soul, as well as Christ's demands for our bodies and our souls. Jesus one day will make all things new. Therefore, we care about all things And we work to restore all things, knowing that one day Jesus will return and finish the work. That's the third thing, Jesus will return restoratively. Fourth, Jesus will return justly. You see it there in verse 27. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. There's this justice that goes on as his angels gather the elect. In Matthew 25, Jesus discusses this in verses 31 and 32. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and Jesus tells us there that he will bless and invite his sheep into the kingdom of God but that the goats are cursed and depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels the return of Christ marks judgment day when some are welcomed into the kingdom and others are sent To eternal punishment what do we do with that how do we respond well first we should accept Jesus as Savior and King now and call others to do so in as warm and as winsome way as we know how before he returns and it's too late second the fact that Jesus will deal with wrongdoers That frees us from a life of bitterness and anger and revenge. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 and verse 19 writes, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Think about that. If we did not believe that at the end of all things that Jesus will right all wrongs and see that justice is done, then we're tempted to take things into our own hands and exact revenge now and call that justice. But in our anger... At wrongdoing we don't have to retaliate God will deal with wrongdoers and we can wait on him do you see how believing that Jesus will return justly how that frees the Christian from anger from bitterness from the drive for revenge from fear. Let me just speak about fear for a minute. I get concerned about us because we get online and start reading things and we start getting freaked out saying some crazy things, doing some crazy things. And we do that because it looks like to us that the bad guys, whoever you think they are, because the bad guys seem to be winning And the good guys seem to be losing. And we lose our ever-loving minds. What are we doing? We believe Jesus will return and make all things right. (laughs) That means I don't have to make all things right. Now, do I want to work for justice? Yes. Do I want to end suffering? Yes. But I don't have to right all wrong. In fact, let me just free you up. Until Jesus comes back, there are going to be things that are imperfect in this world. It's not going to be all made right until he returns. And so, yes, where Jesus has you and the places that he puts you and you have control over things, yes, rule that area to his glory and the way that he would rule. But the things that are outside of your control and you get so upset... That the bad guys are winning and we start saying things and doing things that are not very Christian means we are forgetting that Jesus will return justly and he will make things right. And so we don't have to be so angry or bitter or afraid. Because Jesus will return and make all things right. Number five, Jesus will return unexpectedly. He says that right there in verse 32, right? Jesus says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Look, bottom line, we don't know when Jesus is coming back, all right? But for some reason, over the millennia, there have been people all the time who say, I've figured out the formula. I know when it's going to be. And of course, they've all been wrong. But from time to time, just know, people guess. I've heard people say, well, I don't know the day or the hour, but I know the month or the week. No, you don't. No, you don't. If anybody tells you that they know when Jesus is going to return, then you need to have some questions. And one of them needs to be, what's your interpretation of Mark 13 and verse 32? Because Jesus clearly says he doesn't even know when he's coming back. The angels don't know. Only the Father in heaven knows. So we know that Jesus is coming back, but we don't know when Jesus is coming back. So what? What difference does that make in our lives? Just don't believe people who are saying things are not true? Yes. But Jesus actually makes some application of this truth right here. Look what he says in verse 33 and following. Jesus says, Be on guard, keep awake, for you don't know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves his home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you don't know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, because you know that I'm coming back, but you don't know when I'm coming back, then you should be doing the job that I gave you to do until I get back. Isn't that clearly what the illustration that he makes about a master leaving servants at the house? He's teaching that like the servants, while the master is away, because he can arrive at any minute, we should be doing the job that he gave us to do until he comes back. What job is Jesus giving us to do while he's away? <laughs> That's a whole nother sermon. In fact, I've preached a whole sermon on this. We've got whole classes on this. So let me give you the short version. What is our job as Christians? Well, it's what Jesus said there in Mark 13 and verse 10, right? But first, the gospel must be proclaimed to all Nations. What does that look like for us? The way we've articulated it here at Redeemers, we've said this on the one hand, you have the same job as all other Christians, but on the other hand, your job's a little different than all other Christians. Well, what's that mean? How is it the same as all other Christians? All Christians are to be witnesses who testify to the gospel of God's grace. And have this ministry of reconciliation where we call people to be reconciled to God. All people, all Christians have that ministry. That job has been given us by Jesus. Matthew 28, Acts chapter 1. But how is my job different than all other Christians? Listen, God made you the way that you are. Because you were made for a specific job. Here at Redeemer, we call it a personal ministry. And your personal ministry is different from all other Christians because you are different. And God made you the way that you are because you were made for this specific job, for this personal ministry. Well, how do I know what it is? Well, what do you like to do? What are you interested in? What are you good at doing? What are your spiritual gifts? What experiences have you had in life? What's your temperament? All those things and many others are indications of what personal ministry God may be calling you to do. And within that personal ministry, you're going to be doing what everybody else does, right? Proclaiming, testifying to the grace of God that you have experienced in your own life. And pointing out the hand of God at work in the world around us that's what we're called to do because of all the brokenness and messiness in the world we long for Jesus to return now more than ever but first we're to be doing the job Jesus gave us to do which involves finding the specific way God has for us to be witnesses who testify to the good news of his grace and his mercy, who point people to the fact that there is a way to be reconciled to God, and that comes through the person and work of his Son, the Lord Jesus. We long for Jesus to return and make things right. But first, the gospel must be preached to all nations. Let's pray and ask God to use us to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We have so many questions about the details, about your second coming. And then you tell us even the Lord Jesus doesn't have all the answers, yet somehow we expect to have them. Lord, be patient with us. I pray that you would help us to believe the things you have told us and that it would make a difference in the way that we live our lives. I just pray for my friends, for our family here at Redeemer Church, that we would not be people who live in fear or anger and bitterness or seek revenge, but that we would wait on you to make all things right. And that knowing you will return to make all things right, will help us to endure difficult things. And during that time, I pray that we would seek to see your kingdom come and your will be done here as it is in heaven. Please come and use us for that purpose, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.